Ah, oh, ladies and gentlemen, what a weekend, what a weekend, what a weekend. Coronation, people getting arrested for wanting to protest, it's amazing. Really, really enjoying this country, how it's going right now, it's really great. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D, bring the noise. Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. I don't think Charles had a good uh, good weekend, apparently, um, even though he got, you know, just uh, dressed up in stolen jewellery and orbs that apparently mean something and all that shit. Uh, apparently, a lip reader was... Uh, reporting that he said this is boring and this is so negative and no no and I'm just like you asked you you wanted to have it bro you you we don't actually have to have a coronation you do know that right it wasn't there wasn't any need for that because as soon as the way the monarchy goes as soon as Elizabeth died that second she draws her last breath <sighs> King Charles is now King Charles right so that's literally it. You didn't have to. There was no. There's no fanfare to be had, but you decided to have it. So, um, I don't take the words of you know someone lip reading. Um, I saw the video. I don't really. I don't know if he said it or not. It's just kind of. It's kind of. It's lip reading, right? It's it's never. It's never perfect, right? But um, fuck it. Still, it's just uh funny how just like mopey he looked. It's kind of. It was kind of interesting. I say all of this by saying. I slept through the whole coronation. Okay, just don't ask me how it went. I don't care. I just didn't. I haven't seen much of it. Um, I'm planning not to see any of it um, in the near future. Didn't see any of the the concerts apart from I think like a choir doing Emily Sanday's "Brighter Days," um, which was very nice because that song is fire. Big up Emily Sanday. And um, yeah, you know, apart from that, never really seen much of it. Um, and uh, I was more I was more into the fact that. People were trying to protest, and they were just getting arrested. Um, there was a there was a uh, uh, a set of um, a group called Republic, which basically just a bunch of you know anti monarchist Republicans, right? And they were doing a protest, and uh, apparently they had it um, they had it sorted with the Met Police, right? They did they they were planning it out months in advance. They were keeping the Met, um, you know. Uh, uh, privy to what they were doing they were saying like how many placards they had how many people were attending where we're going what space is going to take up etc etc and the met were like yep 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 all through it all throughout all throughout that those those several months going yep yep it's fine it's fine go for it yep yep saw you yep thanks for letting us know cheers cheers all of that and then as soon as the day happens boom people are getting arrested as early as 7 a.m which was like two hours before the actual coronation starts why why are people getting arrested in Hackney for 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 doling out rape whistles? That has nothing to do with the coronation, but yet people are getting arrested for it. They were in jail for like fifteen fifteen hours or something like that, fifteen to eighteen hours. What are we doing here? Anyway, that's how that's how the weekend went in my eyes. Um, but you know, I'm sure everybody had fun. You know, street parties and all that. You know, street parties, King's coronation. You know, just reason to drink for a lot of people. Um, but anyway, let's get into the show, let's jump right in, um, we're gonna kind of begin the show, uh, off the back of that, um, off the back of Coronation, but even though the article, I think, dropped before Coronation, but I think it links, it, it links, uh, partially to it, and you'll understand why when we get to it, but before that, before my season, before we begin, email, socials, writing, all that, all that, all that, in the full show notes as well as music, and also podcasts under the 5 EPN. We asked an interesting question on DITD. Uh, we asked, is hip-hop right-wing? <laughs> so uh, get into that if you have a visceral answer to that. Um, there is no yes or no answer, but it's a conversation worth having. And also, um, it's such a source dropped um, as I record uh, today, Wednesday. So uh, give that a spin. Um, I make a little cameo. Um, talking about um, the writer strikes and uh, just the landscape of uh, media, the media layoffs, um, including MTV News now, which um, came through the wire last night. 
um, and also the likes of BuzzFeed News and uh, Galdim as well, and uh, plenty of others. Uh, digital media going down the toilet. But the bloggers are back, baby. The bloggers are back. Uh, but anyway, that's what we got into in ISOS as well. Give those a spin in the full show notes right down the description. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where the English local elections goes down and the Tories lost a lot. We're smoking that Tory pack. It's just, uh, yeah man, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Hopefully um, this uh, bleeds into the general election next year. I really hope it does because oh, just watching that blue bar plummet, plummet. A thousand, se- I don't know if it was a thousand seats or a thousand just like... Yeah, I think like a thousand council seats. Extraordinary loss. Absolutely outstanding. I love it. Smoking on that Tory pack, always. Every day, every day, every day. Uh, Napoli wins Serie A for the first time in 33 years. That was interesting uh, sights to watch, to behold. Uh, The WHO, World Health Organization, declared COVID-19 no longer a global health emergency. Well done, guys. Could have got there quicker, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Coronation happened, as, uh, as I've already talked about. And lastly, a federal jury in a civil trial found Donald Trump liable for sexual abuse. So, via only a civil court, not a criminal court, um, you can now label Donald Trump officially a sex 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 assaulter, a sex sex abuser, sexual abuser. There you go. That's the way you should say it. Um, And also Imran Khan getting uh, arrested in uh, Pakistan, which is... um, I don't know what's going on there, but oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So people, people are not happy. Anyway, let's get into some draconian law, shall we? Let's get some draconianism up in here, up in here, up in here. Um, so this is um, <coughs> it's an article of iNews, uh, opinion piece by Ian Dunt, uh, who's an economist at, funny enough, iNewspaper. Believe it or not, can't I know, right? Just. I came, I came at you, didn't it? <laughs> guess what? Guess what? He's writing this on. He's writing it via iNews. Um, but yeah, it's called uh, The Most Draconian Assault on Free Speech in Different Memory is Now in Law. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, yeah, let's get, let's, let's, let's hop right into it. Um, it's going to be a lot of, um, going to be a lot of uh, fun to uh, jump into here. And uh, yeah, with all the Not My King stuff that's just like the first page. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <clears throat> Let's jump in. They didn't even wait for the ink to dry. The assault on protest began before powers even came into force. The Public Order Act was given royal assent and became law yesterday. Today, the government will activate powers which prevent uh, demonstrators from engaging in all kinds of activities. But before he had even come into force, letters were arriving from the Home, of- home Office to the anti-monarchy campaign group Republic, containing a not-so-subtle threat about what would happen if they tried to make their voice heard this week. They outlined the new powers and, cons- and the consequences if someone contravened them. The message was perfectly clear. Quote, we had two, we had two, face to, two face-to-face meetings with, with police, Graham Smith, CEO of Republic, told over the phone. We had uh, various conversations with the liaison office. We were very clear about what our plans are. They were very clear they're okay with those plans. And then the Home Office letter arrived. It is intimidatory, Smith says, and, would be, and it would be uh, for a lot of people. These, these threats were accompanied by an all-guns-blazing government PR effort which mostly focused on climate change protesters. Today, we have brought in new criminal offences to put people who tried to carry out dot-dot-dot guerrilla tactics behind bars, the Prime Minister wrote in The Sun. Because, of course, where else would you write? Instead, <laughs> where would you write? What better place is there to write than The Sun? I am determined not to let selfish protesters get away with causing disorder and misery. Home Secretary Suella Braverman went a step further, suggesting our protest, suggesting that protesters were seeking to quote unquote attack our ways of life. Wow, I'm 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 letting this. I'm going over this language, and you know, don't don't get it twisted, guys. Please don't let this language wash over you. Like I'm just you know I'm I'm just reading it and I'm continuing on, but we could easily stop and just. Sit in these, sit in this language that they're using. That protest is attacking your way of life. That's what they're saying to you. 
Like protest does not attack or wait. What 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 are you talk? What? Anyway, let's stop right. Let's just just continue because we we have a we have a whole podcast in it. Speaking on the BBC Radio for Home Office Minister Tom Tugendhat. Uh, say protesters felt were free to demonstrate, but they don't have a right to disrupt others. When he was asked to describe exactly what protesters could and could not do, he was unable to do so because, of course, why? This that's the thing, isn't it? That they they say these things and they can't explain. What's a war on woke? They can't. What is woke? They can't explain it. What is cancel culture? They can't explain it. They can't explain the shit they keep but fucking touting out, but they just go ahead. And just keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it until people that don't know no better and people that don't fucking read, um, they just take it as gospel. It's like, oh, wokery, 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 wokery. That's all they say. It's just, it's just, they just have that spinning in their brain. And that's just how they get. That's how all this shit becomes toxic. Migrants, 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 migrants. They've been saying that for like 40 years. Migrants, migrants, migrants. And it's finally just, um, you know, properly being or well, it's always been a thing let's be real since since windrush right um but you know just get them out get them out get them out and that's and when you say it enough it's people that don't read are gonna keep saying it. they're gonna parrot anyway that is not an error it is purpose of the bill he aims to make the trigger for criminal penalties penalties so broad and meaning to key ter- meaning of key terms so nebulous that will be hard for a protester to know they are abiding by the law this is its function it is it is its purpose. It is a direct attack on freedom of speech. You cannot support the right to protest while banning disruption. It is a logical impossibility because the purpose of protest is disruption. Even if it's one person, even if it is one person, standing silently with a placard involves some disruption. If it is a million strong march against a against a war in Iraq, for instance, it involves much more. Traffic will be stopped, commutes will be inconvenienced, local shops will lose customers. The question is where you draw the line. The government's approach has been to give the Home Secretary total power to define that line at their whim, whenever excuse me, whenever they please. The Home Office's previous police crime sentencing and courts act, which we talked about on here, allows them to define the phrase serious disruption through something called a statutory instrument, a piece of undistilled executive power which receives almost no parliamentary scrutiny at all. The Home Secretary has now done this, expanding the term to include the activity of walking slowly. It sounds like a joke. It isn't. The government's approach in the new Public Order Act is to define serious disruption so so trivially as to include almost anything a protester might do. If a single person or organisation is, quote, hindered to more than a minor degree, unquote, from their, quote-unquote, day-to-day activities, it satisfies the definition. Of course, this is insane. It defies all sense of meaning. There is a vast chasm between the words minor and serious. But the government is not attempting to be precise or even-handed. It is pretending to hand the maximum possible powers to itself and the police. The police, however, the police... I will, I will, you know, just echo once again that um, have literally, the Met Police especially, have been labelled uh, in official circles racist, misogynist, all the ists that you can that you can probably throw at them. They probably are. And here and here is the government giving them more powers to 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 wield. That's what we should do. Give the police more power and not dissolve the fucking Met. This is why I this is why I don't have any. Sorry, my nose is like stuffy all of a sudden. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I'm talking. Uh, but this is interesting how, you know. Uh, they they talk about all this stuff for the police, and you know they, they either you know get at the police and uh, all that stuff. But here they are just continually giving them powers to do things, and they don't have the they don't have the. They they don't deserve it. They don't deserve this power. They really don't at this point. So this is why I wasn't really hopeful that they would actually dissolve the police or anything because they're just outright giving them more power. It doesn't make sense. They say one thing and then they go ahead and do the complete opposite. Legislation threatens anyone who locks on and chains themselves uh, to road or building with up to a year in prison. This applies even if they, quote, attach themselves to another person, unquote. 
which means even people locking arms or simply holding hands while standing in the way of traffic could be guilty of the offence. <laughs> I gotta let that wash over as well. It introduces massive new powers for stop and search. Oh, that's what we need. More stop and search. Yep. Allowing police to use it against anyone they suspect might have prohibited items. In this case, the list of prohibited items will now include seemingly innocuous things like glue or a bike lock. Indeed, the police also now have the power to initiate stop and search, even if they have no suspicion at all. So they could just do it. They could just do it when they feel like it. That's legit. So we're literally back to we're back to square one on that front. Uh, it introduces serious disruption prevention orders (SDPOs), a kind of protector a, protester ASBO, which, if they're, if they're imposed, can demand the individual report to authorities or be banned from meeting. Uh, certain associates will be blocked from campaigning online. Th- that Wow, this is unbelievably draconian. So you can't even link up with members of your own organization. Do you understand how draconian that is? That makes That's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Wow. The House of Laws did what it could to kick back. The original text of the bill allowed the courts to impose an SDPO even if the person had never been convicted of a crime, a truly unthinkable or worthy proposition. The Lords killed it. They also killed a power to impose 24-7 GPS monitoring tag on those who received an SDPO. Oh, wow. Fucking hell. Why, why is the Lords, why is the House of Lords the, the sensible lot? It doesn't make sense to me. But the resulting bill is still a de- democratic aberration. The government likes to chunter on about free speech. Chunter? Is that a word? Uh, about free speech when it comes to students on campus, but at the same time it is launching the most draconian assault on free speech in living memory, in a conscious and concerted attempt to silence protest in this country. Now we see the effect. The groups they target will not be popular. They will they will be Republicans on Coronation Week. There will be climate change protesters getting in the way of someone's commute, but their voices must be heard. That is what That is what it is to live in a free society. That is what it means to live in a liberal democracy. These powers will ruin the lives of those they target. But the more concerning prospect will come later when a campaign group receives one of those Home Office letters and decides against holding a demonstration. It will come in the silence which follows when those who would have spoken out about their beliefs will stay in, stay quiet in the face of state power. And that should chill us to the bone. And this is kind of one of those... Um, this is one of those moments, those rare moments, I feel, that... Um, I feel like I feel like I should be having a bigger conversation here you know I feel like I should be I feel like I should have more words for this I feel like I should have um, more time dedicated to this because it's been threatened for years and now that it's actually here it's Genuinely just, um, it's jarring, to say the least. I want to say this puts us on par with certain countries, but I don't know how bad. I can throw out some countries' names, but I don't want to just throw it out for the sake of throwing it out, because I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't want to, you know, just throw out countries and then, you know, it's easy, and it'd be easy to correct, because... Um, it could just take a quick look up to actually see the protest laws under that country. And, you know, we could we could assume shit, right? Is it the same as China? I don't know. Probably close, similar, I don't know. But I don't want to just outright say, oh, this is like living in China, because that's reactionary. That's, that's what people love to do in a lot of political circles, not just right-wing circles, but, you know, it's just, they just say shit and there's no actual facts you know, towards that, and I don't want to say that, so, but this is bad, this is very, extremely bad, um, to, 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 to not even be able to lock arms in a protest is crazy, that's literally, that would literally shut down, like, uh, the, like, uh, the march, um, the march in, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, like, you know, MLK, you know, walking across the bridge, that that would literally be shut down. You know what I mean? That's 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 the level. That's the level. They, sh- they would, in, in under this law, Martin Luther King and all of his associates and contemporaries 
comrades in some in some some would say in some circles would be shut down. They wouldn't be walking across that bridge because that would be counter disruption, and the Met Police would shut that down. Think about that. And don't don't get twisted. They literally marched that bridge, and then they got shut down. So you know, sure, right? But that's that's the level we're at. That's the level we're at right now. That's crazy. So um, yeah, I wish I could put more time to this, um, but we do have the rest of the show. So I'm going to stop there. But just understand how the gravity of this particular situation and the gravity of this particular law and the gravity of where this government is taking us an absolutely crazy place absolutely crazy speaking of a crazy place um just producers using using ai already already using ai vocals and uh, are just guessing it for some reason it just ah it, it really just fucks me up it really does um so this this story um if you haven't heard uh timbaland um the you know producer of uh many tracks from the 2000s and only the 2000s uh, in my mind, um, has uh, dropped a video. Dropped a video on IG a few days ago, um, basically saying, um, you know, um, I always wanted to do a track with Biggie and never got the opportunity to. And, you know, everyone's afraid of AI, but I got a solution and proceeds to not say what that solution is. But instead, drops a beat and then on that beat, is AI vocals in the style of Notorious B.I.G. And he's bumping it, and he's loving it. And it's just, it's just sad. It's just sad. But um, I found this article that I think will perfectly, um, as as this writer always does, perfectly encapsulates the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, in context of the general hip-hop story i feel like he nails it all the time so never misses so this is by andre g via rolling stone is called timbaland just added fuel to our growing rap dystopia let's drop right in maybe there's an alternate universe where musicians are currently banding together against ai opting to blackball anyone complicit in its rapid ascension from a viral sideshow into a thorn in the industry side but that's not the case on this planet where prominent artists like grimes and now timbaland are, head- are diving headfirst into artificial intelligence on wednesday Timberland uploaded a video to his Instagram featuring a snippet of an AI concoction of Biggie rapping over one of his beats. Alright, so I'm sitting here with my brother and we know there's a lot of talk about AI and we know the feelings of violating certain things, he says in the clip. But let me tell you something. I got a solution. I'm working on it. It's going to be beneficial to everybody. The song wasn't a remix utilising unearthed Biggie verses, but instead vocals utilising similar tools as those used in the viral AI Drake and Weekend track Heart on My Sleeve. It does a decent job of emulating Big's uh, tremulous baritone, but there are still moments that sound off, because it's not actually him. The AI version of Biggie drops modest slang like she says it's not giving, and references rap history that postdates his 1997 demise. I always wanted to work with Big, and I never got the chance to. Until today, Timberland continues, it came out right. There's a widespread perception that AI's infiltration of rap is being spearheaded by figures with none of the magic of the artist they're depicting. But this time, the culprit is an unquestionably canonical producer. Timberland has long been a focal proponent of AI as a benefit for the music industry. If whatever his solution is for AI has the cultural weight of verses, his other co-creation, we're in for a ride. Posthumous records are already a polarising reality. Under a tweet reporting that Pop Smoke has no more vocals in his vault and account tweet, let the AI pump out a few more albums. Someone just might do that with no respect for Pop's artistry or loved ones. Still, some listeners were excited about Timberland's Biggie verse. Offset commented under the post, man, this shit sound hard as F. But another comment noted, I really don't know how to feel about this as a huge big fan. This is hard as F, but all all I keep asking myself is, dot, 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 if I was big, would I want people making their own version of me? 
Therein lies the confusion of AI vocals, especially those depicting deceased eyes. Pretty, pretty simple right there, isn't it? Pretty simple. As Pharrell recently told us, artificial intelligence is nothing new, but it's permeated the music industry in new ways over the past year. And while some, like Timbaland, feel like it represents opportunity, other sense it's an impending tidal wave of precarity in a world already too eager to exploit artists. Timbaland tagged famous, famed engineer Guru in his post, who previously noted, we have to protect the rights of the artists, not only artists, but everyone in society. People not, should not be able to take your name, image and likeness without permission. We have to add the voice to this law. Obviously, Biggie is not there to grant permission to use his likeness, just like he wasn't there, uh, wasn't for the Kardashians when they put him on a shirt, or, or for gentrifying Brooklyn hipsters who paint him on murals and co-op spread love is the Brooklyn way. The original I am a progressive white person badge before Black Lives Matter. They'd pre- uh, probably never live in his era of Brooklyn, which is why it was so undeser- underserved. But apparently, it doesn't matter because he's not here to point that out. He was killed at 24 in what many believe was a foolish war of egos instigated by vessels of an industry that went on to get every penny they could out of him. He's had his vocals splotched together and sold with artists who debuted years after his 1997 death. His legacy is akin to a cloth that's been wrung bone dry. And now that figurative rag is said to be artificially doused all over again. And the use of big and I can only wait that's the end of the article by the way um short and sweet um and kind of you know just to the point and uh you know it doesn't really have to say much this is just another this is just another brick in the wall to quote pink floyd and it's just it's just jarring how the likes of timberland a noted a noted producer in hip-hop history just goes ahead and does this and he just he's just fine with it doesn't see the doesn't see the logic here in just how fucking wrong this is. It is it's oh, it's so fucking jarring that he just goes ahead and thinks this is fine. Doesn't care. Um, doesn't account for it in any way. Let me let me let me see some of the comments here because I want to know who else. Chuck D. Chuck. D commented with free fire emojis. Chuck fucking D. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, understand how fucking how how much Chuck D has ridden for artist rights, and he goes ahead and puts on fire emoji. This is a good comment. Has five hundred sixty-two likes here. No, this ain't it. It's not big either. So what is there to be excited about, really? We're going off bull destroying hip-hop and the culture. Music being called hip-hop when it's not. Hip-hop should be getting preserved. It should be organic from the heart and soul. I'm not with this AI. We've got enough fake-ish out here. I want nothing artificial when it comes to hip-hop. I'm sure Tim wouldn't like it if someone took his voice, put it on a track, and released it. The double standard will be real. All this AI stuff. Shout out UVD on that one. Absolutely great. But I'm just trying... Uh, yeah, there's the Offset uh, comment. <laughs> Timberland replied to Offset with uh, two, ha- uh, two hand emojis. So that's funny. Um, no other notable names. Oh, except... Um, who is this? Um, okay, okay. I'm going to skip that. But yeah, just... There's, there's a few... There's a few... It's a, it's a, it's a healthy mix. It's a really interesting mix. Uh, oh, here we go. Source money. Timberland, one of them ones. Ghost ass. Great. It's just um, yeah. It's 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 a it's kind of a it's kind of a it's a mixture here. It's it's a mixture. Um, sorry, but this is by a guy called Rask. Sorry, but this is whack. I want real art, passion, dedication, rather than some AI generated mojo. Image, I would rather do an album with some AI Aaliyah clone. Would you still be that excited? Okay, I'm, I, I don't know how, how that was written. But yeah, basically, I think you're saying if I did an Aaliyah, if I did an Aaliyah track, which um, if you know Timbo, um, is uh, very, very oddly um, into the preservation of um, and just constantly guessing up Aaliyah and also comparing other women to Aaliyah. 
Um, always has a linger on the mind, weird, weirdly, after all these years. Um, not saying anything. But um, yeah, always references Aaliyah in a lot of fashions. I'm just like, yeah, how would you feel? But this is this is it, man. This is it. This is it. This is where this is where we're at. We're here. Out of all the things when it comes to exploiting artists, especially streaming, people are fine with that. People are fine with that. I'm fine with that. Unfortunately, right? I'm spinning the music and I'm I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. I like it. And that's that's the that's my cognitive dissonance talking right there. If there's a, and the only way I give to the artists I love is to buy their vinyl. That's pretty much it. Maybe some merch. Go to their shows if I can. You know what I mean? That's what I try to do. But you know, that's 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 the bare that's the bare minimum. Um, but here we are, just taking Biggie's voice as if you know, as if um, there ain't enough uh, Biggie exploitation about. It's just really unfortunate. And again, it doesn't give me hope for hip hop overall. It really doesn't. Um, to have people like this, people like fucking Timberland, to have people ch- like Chuck D commenting on it with fire emojis, that's it's such a dangerous precedent. And it tells me that even people that are older than me, that have been born with hip-hop and grew up with it, kind of don't care either. I'm, I'm, I hate to say it. Do I care about hip-hop more than Chuck D? <laughs> don't want to answer that question for myself. I'm not that um, I'm not that uppity, but I'm not the one <laughs> throwing fire emojis on it. So. So let's hop into film and TV, and there's only one topic to talk about when it comes to film and TV right now, and that is the riot strike. Um, began last week, and uh, there's already report reportage, um, especially from this one. Uh, this is via the Hollywood Reporter by Winston Cho. It's called Riot Strike Fallout. Two billion dollars economic impact may just be the beginning, um, and it's good, <laughs> good. So I'm, I'm happy that it's just the beginning of that. Um, Obviously, the uh, work stoppage in 2007-8 lasted 100 days. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like this could be longer than that. I really do. Um, especially how Hollywood was responding to this. Um, there, was a, there was a report a few days ago that I saw uh, where they were thinking of uh, putting in contracts, in actors' contracts, um, that they could basically have their vocals in perpetuity. Basically, just data hoarding. Um, like how social media, you know, data scrapes um, everything about you, um, you know, keeps your photos, keeps your information, hoards that shit, and then sells it off to the highest bidder. Um, similar to similar to that, that they take they can take an actor's voice, vocals, have it in perpetuity, and use it however they like. Imagine that. Imagine that. We're going to try and put those in actors' contracts. And I know that's not about writers either, but um, it's and you know there's been plenty of mentions about, funny enough, AI being used uh, for writers as well. That they're just going to use write AI to write scripts and then get you know actual screenwriters to just polish it and make it readable. That's demonic behaviour. That's demonic behaviour that you even thinking about that. Really demonic behaviour. But anyway, let's jump right into this article. See what the business side of it is about. A day after the Writers Guild of America. May what may first call for a strike. A dozen or so members. Okay, so it's been over a week, obviously. Ten days. Uh, a dozen or so members of the Set Decorator Society gathered to share intel. Discussion of layoffs kicked off the Zoom meeting, and Pam Elier, uh, owner of LA-based prop house History for Hire, uh, said she had to let go of her receptionist and drum technician in March in anticipation of a work stoppage. Others nodded, echoing sentiments that they could not afford to keep all their staff in face of what they expected to be a lengthy strike. We've been saving up, quote, we've been saving up, but every time we get something together, something happens, Ilya says. When writers man the picket lines 15 years ago, the fallout of the 100-day stoppage was around $2 billion, or $2.8 billion, $2,023. This time, the financial toll may be even greater and felt faster, predicts Kevin Cowden, chief global strategist of the Milk, Milken Institute pointing to the think tank's estimate that the last work, that the last work stoppage cost the California economy roughly that amount. Could we see more? Absolutely. Why did I say that right? Weirdly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Cloudon says. 
Hollywood pumps millions of dollars per day into hotels, restaurants and construction companies, among others, not to mention the pay from workers that support those sectors. A single major film production shooting on location contributes $250,000 a day to the local economy, per the M Motion Picture Association, uh, the group that lobbies for studios. The last writer strike uh, dealt a blow to California's struggling finances to the tune of $772 million in lost wages for writers and production staff. $981 million in lost revenue for various businesses that service the industry and $1.3 billion from the ripple effects to the business uh, businesses that would have profited from lost wages. Excuse me, the Los Angeles County Economic Development Corporation estimated that is a long-ass name. The Los Angeles County Economic Development Corporation estimated those figures aren't adjusted for inflation. The economic consequences of this work stoppage will, of course, depend on how long it lasts. This early on, industry insiders declined to speculate on the depth of the economic impact, but note that the strike is positioned to last at least as long as the last one. Quote, if a protracted strike occurs and lasts six months or longer, it could hurt many media companies, noted a Moody's Investors Service forecast on May 4th, adding, our companies most exposed to a long strike uh, pipelines will dry up and consumers will react negatively to library reruns. Both the Writers Guild and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which bargains on behalf of studios, are refusing to cede ground for now on their positions regarding levels and types of compensation and distribution models have morphed in a rapidly evolving streaming ecosystem. Additionally, the studios are seeking flexibility to incorporate tech advancements like AI, in the script writing process, is what I was talking about, while the union seeks protections against such integration. Also on the table, more transparency about streaming data and minimum staffing levels for writing writers' rooms. I want to say something um, that is specific to the UK and not to the US, um, and that is writers' rooms. We don't have those in the UK. Um, we, have, we have what is basically a gig economy in the UK. I as a screenwriter in the UK, and basically living off a gig economy. Um, there's, you know, we have a Writers Guild of Great Britain. Um, I haven't joined it yet. Um, I probably should, <laughs> but still. Um, but yeah, I, I'm basically just straight up freelance, and it's basically a gig economy. Um, you know, I don't just write, I do editing as well for, uh, for, for some P as well. And, you know, I'm here, I'm living, but it's it's a gig economy still. It's a gig economy. Um, so, and, you know, the, the, the writers in America, I'm saying this just completely objectively, have it better, but this will set a precedent, I hope, um, if they keep, you know, keep for this, because this AI shit isn't good, and I can imagine, you know, some... Obviously, British studios isn't on as large as Hollywood studios, um, but they could easily implement that if they want to. Um, they could give it a go. Even even the person I'm working with right now, um, he's is using AI. Um, he uses ChatGPT to help him, um, you know, do treatments. Um, he does. He uses it to AI generate art um, for his treatments. I don't know how to feel about that. To be wrong, to be completely honest. Um, but I'm writing the script, so I don't care <laughs> um, at that point. But you know, that money could be for any. You know, he doesn't if he if he doesn't have the money because he, he's basically living on the. You know, he he ain't living the best either. Um, so you know, I can't blame him. But you know, that AI art is taking money out of a potential illustration illustrator's pocket. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, we'll we'll live in in different ways so um i'm not going to blame him because he needed to get the treatment done and he didn't have money to pay for an israel and that's how it is that's how it is and that's how the ecosystem works where we can't help each other because we just don't have the money to hire each other and stuff like that and to reach out to other sectors of art sometimes you know what i mean that's that's the, that's the bad thing about it we have to and it has to get very very individualistic unfortunately that's what the gig economy does, especially when it comes to art. You know, what I mean, it's, it's 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 constricting. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, as many as twenty thousand workers across six hundred productions could be out of work, according to the AMPTP. 
If the strike keeps up, it threatens roughly 80, $81 billion in direct wages from 800,000 jobs in the film and TV industry. Late night shows have already shut down, along with Saturday Night Live, The Talk, and Hacks, among others. Even if the strike is settled, it will have ripple effects through the entire country, says Jonathan. Ooh, interesting surname. Cunts? <laughs> Coons? <laughs> um, with a K, U N T Z. Um, a film historian at the UCLA School of Theatre, Film, and Television. Um, it will have a huge impact on Southern California in the billions. Workers in Los Angeles, whose jobs directly depend on filming, have been feeling the impact of the strike for months. The production landscape in the period preceding the strike indicate that uh, shooting days plummeted as studios brace themselves for a work stoppage. The opposite of historic trends showing studios accelerating production before a possible strike deadline to stockpile content. The first quarter that ended in March uh, saw a 24% decline from the same period last year when Los Angeles was enjoying historic levels of production, according to permitting group Film LA. This may signal that the 2022 surge in production attributed to the huge backlog of content stalled by the pandemic may have had some overlap with studios preparing for the strike. Though tight belt, belt tightening in recent months due to Wall Street turning its back on the stream model may also have contributed to the drop-off in production to start this year. There were just six permits issued by Film LA last week for scripted TV content, whether they proceeded to shoot is unknown. The fallout is not limited to Los Angeles either, reaching major production hubs in Georgia and New York. All TV is shutting down, says Chase Helser of Atlanta-based props company Bridge Furniture and Props. And Hollywood Workday is poised to... Yeah, uh, uh, poised to change dramatically should the right strike carry on. For now, creative executives insist they've got plenty to read. Agents are like, are you going to Carbo? And we're like, um, nope, relays one executive who adds, we no joke got two billion... Okay, I'm just going to say two billion scripts because saying that whole number is stupid. Uh, Two billion scripts dumped on us, (coughs) excuse me, on May 1st. A poll of other industry execs uh, yields a similar... A series of similar responses. The results of writers feverishly finishing scripts for new and ongoing projects to submit before the strike formally began May first at midnight. Both the I don't know. If, I'm assuming he, they are um, exaggerating when I say two billion. Um, but I can yeah I get the point that you know people were just getting the scripts in before the strike started because everyone knew what was going on. Both the writers and studios are signaling that they intend to play the long game. The WGA asked for a $429 million raise, claiming that AMPTP offered 86, nearly half of which would be from the minimum's increase. Splitting that amongst eight major studios and streamers, Disney, Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, Paramount, Sony, NBC, Universal, Amazon and Apple... Each would be responsible for roughly $50 million. Uh, the AMPTP offers a different narrative, claiming the value of the proposals of wage floors alone was around $97 uh, million a year, not $41 million per year. But the negotiations go beyond pay, with key philosophical differences separating the two sides. The WGA has claimed that the AMPTP has completely stonewalled the Guild on proposals to institute a minimum size for writers' rooms, as well as a minimum duration of employment. Breaking his silence for the first time after talks broke down on May 1st, the studios argued Thursday that the proposal would result in the superfluous hiring of writers and that it amounts to a quote-unquote hiring quota that is incompatible with the creative nature of the industry. On the, industri- on the issue of AI, the AMPTP did not address the guild seeking to block literary material from being written or rewritten by the technology and to prevent it from creating source material. Stressing that, quote, writers want to be able to use this technology as part of their creative process, unquote. It instead raised legal questions over copyright protections around such material. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, writers want to be able to use it. And, you know, my boy has been using it for treatments, for writing, for helping him write treatments. And I'm, you know, I get that. Why do you, you know, why why bother, right? Um, if it can help you write treatments, then by all means, have utilised that. Because that saves time for a lot of people, for everybody. Um, uh, but you know, when it comes to AI art, that's a different conversation. Anyway, for studios and streamers at the negotiating table, the strike may turn out to be good for their bottom lines. After reaching peak valuations and spending just a few years ago, they get to now say they're in cost-cutting mode in pursuit of curbing losses. The work stoppage may give them the opportunity to further tighten their belts. In the short term, they will not have to pay writers and producers on late-night shows, and they are likely to ask employees to work shorter weeks and halt or at least reduce payments to producers. 
If the strike drags on, studios may be tempted to hold out until they can trigger so-called force majeure clauses, which attorneys familiar with contracts say typically happens eight weeks to offload expensive overall deals. Amid the last strike, ABC Studios terminated the development deals of nearly two dozen writers and non-writing producers who weren't working on major series. Quote, if they have to stop work for a few months, the studios are finally going to get to clean up their balance sheets in the way Wall Street was demanding, says Tom Noonan, uh, founder of production label Bullseye Entertainment and producer of Crash. In a perverse way, it's playing into their needs instead of acting against their interests, unquote. Companies could also turn to mergers under the perception that they need uh, that they result in, that they result in cost savings. A top VFX supervisor protect, projects that quote uh, we could see more consolidation of VFX facilities or several of them going out of business. Another theory of many goes that uh, writers could gain leverage as the strike goes on and for uh, full TV for broadcast networks. Writing for key uh, shows ramp, uh, ramps up during the spring. With production taking place through the summer, t- uh, summer, TV could be forced to bear the brunt of a long strike as streamers have more flexibility with their release schedules. One thing is for sure this time, quote, it's not comparable to 2007, says a top-tier showrunner, nodding to the last strike kickoff. 2007 is going to look quaint. I like the sound of that. Uh, to a certain extent, the impact of the strike on production could also be mitigated by streamers' global footprint. The pandemic proved that Netflix can acquire content from South Korea, for example, to the fanfare of global subscribers. After the breakout success, success of viral series like Squid Game, The Glory, and Physical uh, 100, Netflix announced in April it will spend $2.5 billion in the country over the next four years to produce local TV series, movies, and unscripted shows. International crews outside of the members of the Writers Guild of Canada are also outside the jurisdiction of the WGA. The WGC has told members to follow WGA strike rules. Governor, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom said on May 2nd at the Milken Institute Global Conference he will step in to mediate the negotiations. Quite to the extent both sides are winning and interested in that, he added. Uh, the strike has profound qu- profound consequences, direct and indirect. Every single one of us will be impacted by this. We're very concerned by what's going on because both sides are dug in and the stakes are high. As industry insiders, crew and owners of businesses that depend on Hollywood take stock of the strike's expected fallout, Nothing is certain except that the work stoppage will have a costly toll. The only question now is how much. Quote, Most of us barely got through COVID and now we're staring at this. As, yeah, staring at this, said Dan Schultz, Vice President of Prop Heaven, at the SDSA meeting. It won't surprise me to see all of us not survive this. Which is a very bleak way to end that. Um, but yeah, uh, it actually kind of leads um, very easily to... Um, uh, very It's very simply to... Uh, uh, the next uh, next particular article uh, and the subject of that. But um, yeah, man, um, big up the writer's strike. Um, I really hope, and I don't think this will happen, but um, if, you know, South Korea, if if they could also, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm, you know, it'd be hard to uh, ask them to reject 2.5 billion um, in, you know, their investment to their particular industry. Um, but, you know, I don't know if I don't know if there's any connections there. Um, obviously, the WGC um, is talking about it, and you know I've, I've seen plenty of people in Britain trying to uh, basically not uh, basically not fraternize with American companies um, like the likes of Netflix, right? Um, so um, I don't know if any, I don't know if people are actually upholding that um, in the UK. Um, hopefully, they are, but um, you know. It'd be cool if South Korea could do the same, but uh, you know, 2.5 billion ain't, ain't nothing to sneeze at, so I can't hate on them. But you know, big up strikers, regardless. So we finish up with uh, an article uh, that really fits the life segment because um, it's a G talking about life. Um, so I find this interesting. This is called Tightness of Life, the Growing Phenomenon in Western Society. This is written by Sam Carr, um, who is a reader in education with psychology and center for death and society at the University of Bath, which is a very dismal um, <laughs> title to have under yourself. Jesus Christ. 
Reader in Education with Psychology and Centre for Death. Okay, didn't realise there was a Centre for Death. Uh, but yeah, survive the conversation. Uh, let's try Brian. Molly was 88 years old and uh, in good health. Uh, she has outlived two husbands, her siblings, most of her friends, and her only son. Uh, quote, I don't have any meaningful relationships left, dear, she's t- she told me. They've all died. And you know what? Underneath it all, I want to leave this world too. Le- leaning a little closer, as though she was telling me a secret, she continued. Shall I tell you what I am? I'm strong. I can admit to myself and to you that there's nothing left for me here. I'm more than ready to leave when it's my time. In fact, it can't come quickly enough. I've interviewed many older people for research. Every so often I'm struck by the sincerity in which some people feel that their life is completed. They seem tired of being alive. I'm a member of the European Understanding Tiredness of Life in Older People uh, Research Network. A group of uh, geriatricians, psychiatrists, social scientists, psychologists and death scholars. There's such a thing as death scholars? Imagine that. Imagine that you just link up with someone and you're like, what do you do? I'm a deaf scholar. What the fuck? We want to better understand the phenomenon and unpick what is unique about it. The network is also working on advice for politicians and healthcare practices as well as caregiver and patient support. Oh, yeah, like governments are listening. Professor of Care Ethics, Els Van Wijgarden. <sighs> I just, yeah, I bought that. I'm just going to throw my hands up and say I bought that. Uh, EVW, I'm going to call him, um, and colleagues uh, in the Netherlands listened to a group of older people who were not seriously ill, yet felt a yearning to end their lives. Their key issues, uh, the key issues they identified in such people were aching loneliness, pain associated with not mattering, struggles with self-expression, existential tiredness, and a fear of being reduced to a completely dependent state. This need not be the consequence of a lifetime of suffering or a response to intolerable physical pain, Tiredness of life also seems to arise in people who consider themselves to have lived fulfilling lives. One man of 92 told the network's researchers, quote, You have no effect on anything. The ship sets sail and everyone has a job, but you just sail along. I am cargo to them. That's not easy. That's not me. Humiliation is too strong a word, but it is bordering on it. I simply feel ignored, completely marginalised. Another man said, quote, Look at the condition of those old ladies in the building opposite. Gaunt and half dead, pointlessly driven around in a wheelchair. It has nothing to do with being human anymore. It is a stage of life I simply don't want to go through. Unquote. The American novelist uh, Philip Roth wrote that, quote, Old age is not a battle. Old age is a massacre. If we live long enough, we can lose our identity, physical capabilities, partner, friends and careers. For some people, this elicits a deep-rooted sense that life has been stripped of meaning. And that the tools we need to rebuild a sense of purpose are irretrievable. Kev Professor Helena Larsson and colleagues in Sweden have written about a gradual turning out of the lights in old age. They argue that people steadily let go of life until they reach a point where they are ready to turn off the outside world. Larsson's team raises the question of whether this might be inevitable for us all. Of course, this sort of suffering shares characteristics. It's depressing and painful with anguish, but we encounter uh, at other points in life, but it's not the same. Consider the... Consider the existential suffering that might arise from a terminal illness or recent divorce. In these examples, part of the suffering is connected to the fact that there is more of life's voyage to make, but that the rest of the journey feels uncertain and no longer looks the way we fantasize it would. This sort of suffering is often tied to mourning, a future we feel we should have had, or fearing a future we are uncertain about. One of the distinctions of the tiredness of life is that there is no desire for or mourning of a future, only a profound sense that the journey is over, yet drags on painfully and indefinitely. In countries where euthanasia and assisted suicide are legal, this is what this is what I was thinking of like literally throughout this. I was like, okay, so where's euthanasia in this in this in this conversation? Because I've always had this thought or this concept in my head. When I think about when I go past like a care home, um, and I just think I just think like, are they just are they are they happy? You know what I mean in in everything. Not a, not in a cynical way, not in like an ageist way, but I'm just asking sincerely. Like, are they even happy? You know what I mean? Wouldn't they just like? I've I've talked about it with my mum. Right, she's in a she's in her sixties. And 
I, I ask her about it and you know it comes up sometimes you know in the news maybe like you know some some euthanasia story kind of, it comes down a couple of times a year right and then we talk about it I'm just like oh this and this is another thing I learned this very recently today is old not today is old but you know what I mean it was a today is old moment I think like last year where someone said in death animals like dogs have more rights like you know, pets have more rights than humans like, we put down our dog Bailey years ago. And that was out of love for the fact that he just was suffering. And we just did him a favor. Like, he had a hole in his side and it was just, you know, it was just a lot. It required a lot. And he d- he started deteriorating. And once that deterioration started happening, we were just like... The, the, the vets recommended it and we were just we just had that talk i remember we had that talk on the stairs and we just yeah it was it was just obvious right and it was logical um and I, you know I, I, and you can't do that for people here you can't do that for your nan you can't do that for your father for your old dad or something like that why not if they're of sound body and mind i understand if like you know they have dementia or something it's hard to you know pass that through um it's hard to you know make that argument for somebody um to just end their life because you fit because you you feel bad you know what i mean but if they're in sound body of mind and they want to go why not like i've asked my mum. i'm just like you know if you're of a sound body of mind and you feel like you want to go let me know like we'll, we'll make something happen i just sincerely mean that um anyway <coughs> euthanasia in countries where euthanasia and assisted suicide are legal, doctors and researchers are debating whether tightness of life meets the threshold for there we go meets the threshold for sort of uneasing, unceasing emotional suffering that grants people the right to euthanasia. The fact that this problem is common enough for researchers to debate it may suggest that modern life has shut older people out of Western society. Oh yeah, definitely has. Perhaps elders are no longer revered uh, for their wisdom and experience. But it's not inevitable. In Japan, age is seen as a spring or, or rebirth after a busy period of working and raising children. One study found older adults in Japan showed higher scores on personal growth compared with midlife adults, whereas uh, the opposite age pattern was found in the US. Surgeon and medical professor Atul Gawande argues that in Western societies, medicine has created the ideal conditions for transforming aging into a long, slow fade. Quote, unquote. He believes quantity of life has been overlooked as we channel our resources towards biological survival. This is unprecedented in history. Tightness of life may be evidence of the cost. <sighs> I didn't mean, well, I did mean to leave this on such a bum note, but, um, you know, but the rest of the articles are pretty fucking bum notes to me personally. Um, but I just find this very interesting. Um, you know, just the concept of aging and, uh, you know, what is... Because it's true. Western society has really just... Has really shunned older people over the years. Um, you know, we all love our nans and stuff like that. But um, I feel like it just... It's, it's getting a little bit more... A little bit... Because people in general... Not counting, you know, the 1% and above... Um, you know, for for regular people, they're just working, and they're just trying to, you know, they're just trying to keep on, keep on. Having having an elder is becoming more and more hard for everybody involved, and um, you know, I can imagine that tiredness of life. I can I can see it. I can see that. I can imagine that. I don't want to experience that. And that's kind of why I feel relatively confident that I, I that I will not have it, um, because I do things that I enjoy and I can do forever. As long as I can talk, I can do podcasts. As long as I my fingers work, I can I can write. As long as I can walk about and see, I can take photos. If I can do those. I'm happy, but I understand that might not happen. There might be a time where I'm, you know, I might actually just go blind. <laughs> you know, it, 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 you never know. You never know what will happen in life. But um, yeah, that tightness of life thing is very interesting. Um, and I wonder, I, w- I wonder, 
how it fares when it comes to what people do in life. So, like, you know, people that just work nine to five, rat race, conveyor belt, you know, life, and then they hop off at 60, whatever the retirement age is, and then they just live retired lives. How is that different to someone in the arts, you know, for example? I just wonder. I, I always wondered that. So I'd, I'd like that specific research if I can make a request. But um, anyway, we'll leave it there. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, <coughs> I'm a child saying this has been most good. Intro music was too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chill Music for the bids used track. Find both of those links in the full show notes. And thanks to friend 5 Napi for the bids used character mag for the interlude. You can also find here's the link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.